You are listening to the Purpose Church High School Ministry Podcast. Whether this is your first episode or you've heard them all, God has something to say to you. Our vision is to see every student everywhere following Jesus, and we hope this message helps you take your next step in your faith. To learn more about our high school ministry, visit our website, purposechurch.com HSM, and check us out on Instagram at purposehsm. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Well, hey, we are continuing our series called Run the Race, where we are studying this ancient letter found in the New Testament of the Bible written about 2,000 years ago called the book of Hebrews. And this letter is all about Jesus, which means all summer we are talking all about Jesus. And so I'm so excited for your faith to grow, for your understanding of Jesus to grow as we spend this time this summer looking at the book of Hebrews. And I do that little illustration because tonight we are going to talk about three guarantees that Jesus wants to give you. Three guarantees that if you're a follower of Jesus, he wants to give you. The problem is these are hard to believe. That as I share these, your your response is going to go, well, no, that's something you must earn. Or that couldn't possibly be. You're going to hear the voice from inside. You're going to hear even Satan lying to you and telling you those promises could not be true. But I want to encourage you today that as we look at God's word, that you can trust these guarantees. That they are not things you can earn, but they are simply something that you can receive. And that God desires for you to receive. Now, tonight, the title for our sermon is Once for All. And we're going to discover together how Jesus' once-for-all sacrifice has the power to guarantee us things that we could not earn ourselves. And that's why I love Hebrews, because Hebrews is consistently driving us to see Jesus as the once-for-all sacrifice, as the biggest deal. How to survive doubt and temptation from Pastor Claire last Wednesday. It's all about Jesus. And specifically, we're going to talk about Jesus' sacrifice. But before we jump into Jesus' sacrifice, I want to give us a little context. I want to give us a little understanding for that word sacrifice, because we see it all over the place in the Old Testament. We see it describing Jesus and what he did in the New Testament. And 2,000 years removed from the writings of the New Testament, sacrifices are not something we do, right? Like, you don't come home after school and your mom's like, oh, just doing a quick sacrifice. How you doing, honey? You know what I mean? Like, that doesn't happen. We just don't, we don't do sacrifices anymore. And so I want to give us a context so we'll better understand Jesus' sacrifice. So I remember growing up, one of my, like, one of the cars that I just thought was the absolute coolest was the Cadillac, right? Anybody ever seen a Cadillac? Cadillacs are just, they're just, they were in rap videos, they're just cool, right? They're just cool cars. Now, I was trying to think of like a, a memory device, something to help you remember the sacrificial system, remember the tabernacle, remember some of the things that we're about to talk about in a few minutes. And all of a sudden, as I was looking at the titles of each of the aspects of the sacrificial system that God set up in the Old Testament, this phrase came to me, Stadillac. And you're going to see it because it begins with those letters, Stadillac. So I know this is cheesy and lame, but if you think of Cadillac as like an awesome car, the Stadillac was like God's awesome way to connect with people in the Old Testament. It was God's way to connect with his people and to deal with Sin. Let's look at Exodus chapter 29, verses 38 to 46. It says this. 
This is what you are to offer on the altar regularly each day. Two lambs a year. Offer one in the morning and the other at twilight. With the first lamb, offer a tenth of an ephah of the finest flour, mixed with a quarter of a hen of oil from the pressed olives, and a quarter of hen of wine as a, am I reading the right one? As a drink offering. Yeah. Um, sacrifice the other lamb at twilight with the same grain offering and its drink offering as in the morning, a pleasing aroma, a food offering presented to the Lord. For the generations to come, this burnt offering is to be made regularly at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord. There I will meet you and speak to you. There also I will meet with the Israelites, and the place will be consecrated by my glory. So I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar, and will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of Egypt, so I might dwell among them, I am the Lord their God. So God's heart, his desire is to dwell with his people. And so he sets up this sacrificial system so that he could dwell with his people. Now, maybe you've heard about the tabernacle, you've heard about the temples, you've heard about the altar and, and the holy of holies. Well, I just want to give you guys a framework for how all of that works. So let's go to the next picture that I have for us. This is sort of like a rendition of what the tabernacle looked like. It was this giant tent originally that eventually became an actual temple, and there were specific aspects to it that God told his people to build. Because he wanted to connect with them in a deep way. Let's go to the next graphic. So this is where I want to help you when you think about the Old Testament sacrificial system. Think Cadillac, right? Cadillac, think Stadillac. This is how we're going to remember it. And I, I know no other better way to remember all of these weird aspects other than creating a little device like that. So first up, what we are talking about is the sacrificial system. This was the space where God desired to forgive his people, to redeem his people, to connect with his people, and where he would dwell. But in order for his people to meet with him, being a holy God and us being an unholy people, there had to be a sacrifice. There had to be an exchange. There had to be a way of dealing with our sin. So the sacrificial system is God's way of forgiving and atoning, dealing with our sin. But it's always understood in the Old Testament that God, that through the sacrificial system, God passes over our sin. Have you heard of the Passover? The Passover is God's passing over our sin. In other words, the Old Testament sacrificial system does not actually defeat sin. It merely passes over sin, which is why priests would have to continually come day after day, year after year, offering sacrifices for the sins of the people because it was not a permanent or final sacrifice. Well, a part of the sacrificial system, the first aspect is the tabernacle, which if you look at two, number two, the tabernacle was that space. That's where the offerings, that's where, that's where you would enter into the presence of God. And the tabernacle was kind of broken up into these two, at two places. There was the holy place, and then there was the holy of holies, or the most holy place. And a priest would enter from the outside, move his way in, and the high priest was the only person who was allowed to go into the holy of holies, which was said to be the place closest to God. And so these Israelites wanted to be as close to God as they possibly could as they moved forward. 
Well, that was the tabernacle. The next one is the ark. So right outside, right out, or right in the middle of the Holy of Holies stood this ark. And this ark was lifted up from the ground so that the Ten Commandments would never touch the ground. The ark was elevated. It, it contained God's law. It would never touch the ground. And there was a curtain. That curtain right there between the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place was what divided was what divided humanity from God. And after the high priest would make his sacrifices and his sin was passed over and the sin of the people was passed over, he was able to enter into the Holy of Holies and they would literally tie a rope around the ankle of the high priest as he would walk into the Holy of Holies and somebody on the outside would be holding on to that rope because they believed that if there was sin in your life that hadn't been dealt with and you were in the Holy of Holies before God, you would literally die. And so they thought if you would die, how is anybody going to get in there? And they would literally like, drag you out. You see, that's the big deal. That was their perspective. That's how much they valued the holiness of God and the presence of God. Well, right outside of the Holy of Holies, you've, you've got the ark right there, uh, which the ark was where sacrifices uh, were, actually, were actually made. And then right outside of that, in number four, you've got the table in the holy place. The table's really cool because what sat on the table was a piece of bread. And the piece of bread was, was a reminder of God's presence. Think of communion. The bread that sat outside reminded the people as they walked in that God was present with them, that he cared for them, that he took care of them. Right next to the altar was the lampstand. The lampstand or the menorah, that's what lit up the tabernacle. That's what brought light. It was a picture of God's illuminating power and the fact that he was with his people, that he was present with them. And then right outside of the tabernacle, number five, is the altar. That's where another sacrifice would be made before you entered inside of the tabernacle. And then ultimately the courtyard, which represents the whole outer area was that space where you would wait, where you would pray, where you would prepare yourself to encounter God. Now, as you can see, there were so many different curtains, so many different layers, and only the high priest was able to go inside to the Holy of Holies. Now, here's what's awesome. When Jesus dies on the cross, it says that the curtain of the temple was torn. This is a powerful moment in the story of the Jews because you see, up to this point, number one, only men could enter up to this point. There was actually a court of women that was right outside. So women couldn't even go any closer and only the high priest could go as close to the Holy of Holies. But when Jesus tears that curtain, all of a sudden men and women, all of a sudden Jews and Gentiles, all of a sudden young and old, all of a sudden religious and non-religious, everyone has access to God through Jesus Christ and only through Jesus Christ. You see, the point of this whole thing, the point of this whole system was that God wanted to dwell with his people. And in order to do that, a sacrifice had to be made. Our sin had to be put on something. Here's what's crazy. God, from the beginning, wanted to spare his people of carrying that weight. So he literally chose to put that on an animal, on a sacrifice. And ultimately, he would put that on himself. And he would sacrifice for his people because he wants a relationship with you that bad. 
Well, knowing that there's three guarantees that the sacrifice of Jesus makes for us. And the first one I wanna talk about tonight is this. The sacrifice of Jesus guarantees you complete salvation. The sacrifice of Jesus guarantees you complete salvation. Find me in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23 to 27, and your first fill-in-the-blank notes on your sermons is that complete. It says this, Hebrews 7, 23 to 27. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Oh, there is so much gospel and good truth in that passage. Jesus saves completely and he doesn't have to keep going back. We don't have to keep going back because he lives, because he rose from the dead. You see, the reason that a new sacrifice was required over and over again in the Old Testament is because the sacrifice died. The beauty of our sacrifice, of what God did for us, is our sacrifice didn't just die, he also rose from the dead. That Jesus came back to life, so he is the greatest sacrifice and he gives us complete salvation. This means that Jesus took forever our sins and they cannot return unless we let them, unless we invite them back. I want to do a little illustration real quick that I remember doing for the very first time on Andrew Haynes. Andrew, will you stand up real quick? Stand up real quick. I love Andrew Haynes. When when Andrew Haynes was an HSM student, he was the first one I ever did this on, and he loved it. So in honor of him, I'm going to pick one of the senior guys. Uh, let's pick Dakota. Come on up here real quick, Dakota. Come on up here. Give it up for Dakota. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. To understand that Jesus saved you completely, you got to understand your condition before Christ. Before Jesus enters into your life, before you receive his forgiveness, the scriptures say that sin is not just like a bad decision. It's not just something you did last weekend that, oh man, thankfully nobody posted about, your parents didn't find out about, whew, maybe that one girl knows about it or that one guy, but man, not, not the whole world, so I'm just going to kind of move on and run away. No, scripture says that sin equals death. That we're literally enslaved to our sin. So here's what I want to do real quick. Come on over here, Dakota. So, Dakota, go ahead and give me your hand. Have you ever been arrested before? Uh, you know what? Let's plead the fifth. Go ahead. Go ahead and put your hand there. Yeah, go ahead and put your Just one. Just pick one. Seems like you're used to this. Okay, anyway. Um, okay, so Scripture says that you and I, picture this is your sin. This is your baggage. Scripture says that we are literally chained to our sin. That we can't do anything. Sin is any word, action, or thought that is misaligned from what God would want. Anytime you think a lustful thought, anytime you gossip, anytime you, you do something that, that is against God, that is not something he's okay with, that is a sin. And scripture says that we are literally handcuffed to our sin. Here's what we try to do. When we sin, here, here's what we try to do. We try to do one of two things. You can go ahead and stand up because I'm going to need you to do something for a second. The first thing we try to do is we try to hide our sin from others. 
We try, to, we try to make others believe that we don't actually have any sin, that we're fine on our own. So here's what I want you to do. Dakota, I want you to try to hide your sin from the rest of us. Just stand right here. Just go ahead and hide it. Wow. Bold move. Bold move. Now, raise your hand if you can still see Dakota's sin. Raise your hand if you can still see his sin. Okay. So Dakota, I know you're a talented young man, not so talented right now. Okay. It's just not, not your best day, but that's okay. That's okay. Here's the second thing that we try to do. If we can't hide our sin, we try to run away from our sin. We, we delete that account and we start a new spam account. We, uh, we switch schools. We switch friend groups. We switch youth groups. We switch boyfriends, girlfriends. We, we try to do anything we can to run away from our sins. So here's what I want you to do, Dakota. I want you to run away from your sin. You don't break it. All right. All right, here's the thing. Where Dakota went... His sin went too. There was no place Dakota could go that his sin wouldn't follow him. And as much as you and I try to hide our sin from our parents, from our life group, even from ourselves, and as often as we try to run away from our sin, switching friend groups, switching churches, switching communities, the reality is our sin is still stuck to us. Now, the beauty is, here, come on back over here. The beauty is this. Jesus did for you what no boyfriend or girlfriend could ever do for you. Jesus did for you what no salary, what no future college, what no drug, what no gang could ever do for you. Jesus literally offers you complete forgiveness and freedom. And so Jesus comes on over here and he says, you know what? I'll take that. You see, when it says that Jesus lives forever, that he saves completely, completely, what it means is Jesus, his death and resurrection didn't just pass over your sin. He defeated your sin. He took your sin. He owned your sin so that you could be completely free. Give it up for Dakota. Give Dakota a round of applause. And so because of that, we can rejoice. We can rejoice that we have complete forgiveness. Now, what do you do with your sin? So let's say so you, you've received God's complete forgiveness. What about when you think that lustful thought? What about when you say that gossip phrase? What, what about when you, when you post something that you shouldn't post? What about when, when you lie to your parents? Like, what do you do? Well, here's the thing you do. Number one, number one, when God convicts you, when God convicts you of your current sin, you repent and you turn away from it. You see, God doesn't condemn his people and God doesn't want you to feel guilty. God convicts you, makes your sin aware to you, makes you feel sorrowful about it, not because he wants you to feel bad, but because he wants to deal with it and he wants you to be free. And so when God convicts you, when God brings to your mind, maybe even right now you're thinking of sins that you've struggled with this week, when God brings those to mind, repent, ask him for forgiveness, and turn away from those sins. I was just talking with somebody today who was, who was sharing with me that they were struggling because as boyfriend and girlfriend, they were having sex together. And, and they were saying, 
you know, we're, we're, we want, we feel convicted by God. We recognize that this isn't God's will for our lives, that outside of marriage between a husband and a wife, that's where sex is. That's where sex is supposed to happen. You see, God put these protective boundaries around sex so that we could enjoy and experience it his way. But when we experience it outside of his way, then he's not okay with that because it brings all kinds of pain. And so I was talking with them and I simply just said, hey, you just need to identify when are you having sex and where are you having sex and avoid those. Don't overcomplicate it. And so ask yourself, when are you sinning and where are you sinning and choose to avoid those. That repent, talk to God, say, I'm sorry, God, I recognize that I'm doing this. Turn away from it. Turn away from that life. But oftentimes it's not just God's voice that's speaking. Oftentimes Satan will try to make you feel guilty about past sin. So maybe even as I'm talking right now, you're thinking of past sin. You're thinking of sin that you've already confessed to Jesus, that he's already forgiven you for, and you're beginning to feel guilty. That's Satan. That's not God. God convicts you of current sin so that you'll turn towards him and leave it behind. Satan guilts you about past sin. I just want to say this. As soon as Satan, and every time Satan reminds you of your, of your past sin, you remind him that Jesus already paid for it. I'm going to say that again. Think about that for a second. That every time Satan reminds you of your past sin, you remind him that Jesus already paid for it. You don't need to feel guilty about past sin that has been dealt with by Jesus. Because friends, Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. It's not Jesus plus you doing a bunch of things. It's not Jesus plus you saying some Hail Marys. It's not Jesus plus you going to this thing or that thing. No, it's, it's Jesus plus absolutely nothing equals salvation. God didn't send a substitute to save you and I. He sent himself once and for all. And so, friends, we have complete salvation. Can I get an amen? Because that's just good news. Like, that's just good news that we have salvation completely. Number two, the sacrifice of Jesus guarantees you eternity in heaven. The sacrifice of Jesus guarantees you eternity in heaven. Hebrews chapter 9, 27 to 28 says, Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. You see, I thought this was interesting as I was studying it this week. I asked myself the question, if we're already saved, why does Hebrews say that Jesus will bring salvation when he returns? That if we're already saved, what does that mean? Why, why would Jesus bring salvation? It's because this. The New Testament wants you to know that the word salvation gets used in three different ways. That in other words, there's sort of three dimensions to God's salvation. The first is this. We have been saved. The second is we are being saved. And the third is we will be saved. Let me, let me show you what I'm talking about. 2 Timothy 1 chapter 9 says this. We have been saved. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. So he has saved us. So if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you are saved. You're saved from hell, you're saved from sin, you're saved from yourself. You are saved. In the past, you have been saved. 
But check it out. The Bible also talks about us being saved. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So salvation isn't just something that happens in the past. It's also something that's happening right now. That God is actively saving you. This means when the Holy Spirit lives inside of you as a follower of Jesus, that he's helping save you from sin. He's helping save you from Satan. He's helping save you from the destruction of this world. That God is saving you, which is so cool that God's not just interested in your past salvation and that one time you surrendered your life to Jesus. He is interested in continuing to save you. That means he loves you, that he protects you, that he cares about you. But then there's this promise of salvation, Hebrews 9.28. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. You see, Jesus is coming with a gift, and it's the best gift of all. Jesus is coming back, and he's coming back with a gift for all of us, and it's the best gift of all. I, I remember... One, one Christmas, I loved Christmas. I loved Christmas. I loved the gifts. Like, I'm so selfish. I get it. I just loved it. I just loved the gifts. And I remember one Christmas Eve, my aunt, who I love, I love this aunt, she, she gave me a gift, and I opened it up, and I was so excited. I thought it was going to be a skateboard thing or something. I was so excited. I opened it up. It was literally, I was, I was in the eighth grade, okay? I was in the eighth grade. It was a rock classification kit, like, unless you're going to be a geologist, no. The answer is no. Don't ever get somebody a rock classification kit. And I literally looked at it and I was like, this is horrible. But then I remember that Christmas that my parents got me the first generation iPhone. And yes, I had the very first generation iPhone. And back then they were only $200. Just let that sink in for a second. They were $199 because AT&T offset the cost. It was awesome. And I remember opening that iPhone, and it was like the best gift I could possibly imagine. You see, I want you guys to think about the best gift you could ever possibly imagine is coming when Jesus returns. That he is going to bring you his promised salvation, which is eternity with him. And so the question is, what should we do while we wait? Until he returns, what should we do? It's simple, three things. Number one. The first thing we should do is share Jesus with as many people as possible. That until he returns, our goal is to share Jesus with as many people as possible. Number two, actively participate in God's family, the church. This is why Pastor Claire and I are constantly telling you guys, sign up to serve. Start serving on Sundays. Worship on Sundays. Soon Pastor Claire and I are going to start a student section on Sunday morning where we all sit together because it's so important that we participate in God's family because we are going to be spending all of eternity with God's family. And number three, enjoy everything God created. Enjoy everything that God created. Number three, the last big idea, the sacrifice of Jesus guarantees you are whole and being made holy. In our last verse in Hebrews 10, 14, for by one sacrifice, Jesus has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Hebrews is talking about a fancy church word, biblical word, word called sanctification. The word sanctification means becoming holy. 
in the process of becoming holy, being set apart and being obedient to Jesus. The idea is as, as the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, that you are becoming more like God in the process. But here's what's so cool. Hebrews says, the sacrifice of Jesus makes perfect those who are being made holy. So when God sees you, if you're a follower of Jesus, he sees perfection. He sees holiness. He sees blamelessness. Not because you are and you've done any of those things, but because that's the gift that his salvation has given you. And because God sees you that way, he wants to help you really fully become that. It's like God's rooting for you. He loves you. He's chosen to see you as perfect, and he wants to walk with you the rest of your life in that process of becoming perfect. You see, if you are truly saved, then your desires change, and you want to become more like Jesus. And that process of sanctification, it takes time, and it's difficult. But I just want to tell you this. You have God's love. You can't earn it. If you've received his love, if you've received his forgiveness, you already have it. Now let it change you. Now let God's love actually change you. You see, students, Jesus meets you right where you are. It literally doesn't matter what your whole life has been like up to this point. It doesn't matter if you murdered somebody. And please hear me, I'm not saying these are good things. Okay, hold on, I'm not saying these are good things. But there is no sin you could commit that Jesus could not forgive. There is no party you could attend. There is no crazy, wild and out living that you could participate in that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that the death and resurrection of Jesus couldn't forgive. There's no way for you to get outside of God's love. Jesus loves you so much that he will meet you right where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. He loves you too much to leave you in that spot. He wants to make you holy. He wants to heal you. He wants to restore you. And so I want you to take a minute, and here's what I want you to do. On the last page of your notes, at the very bottom, it says this. Let's go to, um, as I follow Jesus this month. As I follow Jesus this month, I need to stop, and I need to start. I want to ask you, students, what do you need to stop, and what do you need to start as you follow Jesus. Recognizing that his sacrifice guarantees you that you are made whole and that you are being made holy. Knowing that he wants to work in your life. What do you need to stop? And I want you to go ahead and take a minute right now and write it down. Write down three things. What do you need to stop in order to more closely follow Jesus? And what do you need to start? While you're doing that tonight, if you've never begun a relationship with Jesus, if this whole Jesus following thing is new to you, your leaders are ready and would love to have a conversation with you. And if tonight you decide that you want to follow Jesus, we have these next step packs in the back for you with a Bible, information about following Jesus, information about getting baptized. Your leaders would love to give you one of these and talk to you about this. And so as we talk about the sacrifice Jesus made for you, if, if you're going, man, I want that relation, I want a relationship with that God, your leaders would love to have that conversation with you.
So let me pray for us, and then what we're going to do is we are going to head straight into life group time. We're going to head straight into life group time, and I want you to discuss what God taught you tonight, and specifically maybe those three things that you need to stop and that you need to start. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for HSM. Thank you for this amazing community. God, I pray that you would bless them, that you would use them, that you would help them to see that your sacrifice guarantees us complete salvation, that your sacrifice guarantees us eternity in heaven, and that your sacrifice guarantees that we are whole and that you are committed to making us holy. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Hey, can we thank, or can we welcome Kaylee and <laughs> yeah, Ainsley? Can we, thank, can we thank Pastor Eric for that amazing message? Yeah, guys, isn't God so great? Like, he'll forgive every single one of our sins. Amen. All we have to do is pray, repent. He's, God is so amazing. He is. Yeah. He's so good.